Ephesians chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. And as you find that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, if you're physically able to do so. Ephesians chapter number 5. And uh, we'll read verses 14 through 17 this morning. Ephesians 5, 14 through 17. Verse 14 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And let's pray one more time together. Lord, we do thank you that it is still indeed the cross that saves people from sin. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that this morning as we look into this message. I pray, Lord, that we would have the cross in our mind. And Lord, I ask that uh, you would bless this time together as we study your word. Help us, Lord, to magnify you more because of it. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So three weeks ago, I announced our theme for 2020, Magnify the Lord. When we saw in that very first message the importance and the how-to of magnifying the Lord in our hearts. Then the next Sunday, we saw how we can magnify the Lord in our homes. And then last Sunday, we also learned how to magnify the Lord in our marriage. And today, we're going to look at how we can magnify the Lord in the usage of our time. Now, I want you to imagine with me this morning uh, that your bank calls you and asks you to help them pilot a brand new program. This plan is both lavish and very simple. You see, each morning, the bank will credit your account with $86,400, which you'll be free to spend or invest as you please. But every night, your account will close with a balance of zero. You'll carry no balance from day to day, meaning that you must spend or invest the deposit each day or it will be wasted. How many of you would be interested in signing up for such a program? (laughs) My hand is raised. Count me in. Well, the truth is, all of us do have a bank that credits, credits your account each morning. This bank, it's called time, and it generously gives you 86,400 seconds every day. But like the bank we described above, every morning the non-refundable deposit is canceled by evening. Whatever you don't spend or invest is wasted. And failure to use the day's deposits results in an irreplaceable loss. You see, this is what Paul is getting at here in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. He was challenging the believers of Ephesus and, and we could, uh, we would do why, we would be wise to take heed to this challenge as well to magnify the Lord with our time. Of course, this is a theme that we find in other places in the scriptures. I think of Psalm 90 and verse number 12. Moses was the author of this psalm and he said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Oftentimes, we like to think that I have all the time in the world. 
And yet, the psalmist said here, teach us to number our days. He said, help us to understand that our time is indeed limited here on this earth. And so we need to number our days. Psalm 39 and verse number 4. David here is the human author of this psalm, and he said, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is nothing before me, before thee. He's saying, Lord, help me to understand that my time here on this earth is limited, how frail I am. Those of us who may be a little more advanced in years may understand that greater than those who are of young age. Those who are of young age are tempted to think that I have my whole life before me. I don't need to worry about anything. But all of us know of young people who did not make it into their 20s, 30s, 40s. None of us know how long we have here on this earth. You see, each day we live, though, we have at our disposal 24 hours. We have 1,440 minutes and, of course, 86,400 seconds. Someone calculated how a typical lifespan of 70 years is spent. A lot of it is spent in sleep. We spend a lot of our life sleeping. In fact, of those 70 years, 23 of those years is spent asleep, which is 32.9% of many people's lives is not even awake. Work, 16 years of those 70 are spent in work. That's 22.8%. Watching television, eight years of a 70-year life is spent in front of the small screen. 11.4%. Eating, we spent six years. Some spend more, some spend less. <laughs> Eating, I don't know if they surveyed all Baptists, but you know, it may be a little more if they surveyed Baptists. Anyway, six years, 8.6%. Leisure, doing things you want to do, 4.5 years, uh, which is 6.5%. Illness, uh, an average person spends four years of their life sick, uh, 5.7%. Uh, percent getting dressed we spent two years of our life getting dressed and maybe more for ladies as they keep going back to their closet and saying not this and then they tell their their husband they have nothing to wear and you're like wait a minute I see a closet full of stuff that's 2.8 percent but unfortunately religion only amounts to a half a year for the average person's 0.7% of their life. This morning I want to talk to us about, from the Word of God, how we can indeed magnify the Lord with our time. First of all, I want us to see the potential of time. Here in our passage, Ephesians chapter 5, and verse number 14, it says, Wherefore he that saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Look at everyone is given, as I said, the same exact amount of time every day. And yet everyone chooses how they use that time differently. Here are some potential ways in which we can use time. First of all, we can squander it. 
We can waste it. Proverbs 18, verse 9 says this, He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. The Bible talks about those who waste things and are wasteful. One of the things that we should not be wasteful is our time. Because as all of us know, once the time has gone, you cannot go back and redo it. So we would be wise to not squander it. Compare this slothful guy in Proverbs 18, verse 9, to the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31. In verse 27 of Proverbs 31, it says this, She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. The virtuous woman is one who does not squander time. She understands the importance of time and the power of it and decides not to squander it. And of course, this lady refuses to squander time, insinuating that many, unfortunately, do waste and squander the time that they have been given. Benjamin Franklin is, one of his famous quotes is, do you love life? Then do not waste time, for that's the stuff life is made of. Very wise words indeed. I was reading this week an article from ZDNet.com from April 2019 about the usage of smartphones in our culture. Raise your hand if you have a smartphone. Okay, yes. In this article, they quoted a study that was done from 2,000 people with a mix of millennials and baby boomers. And it was determined in this study that the average American spends, and you see it on the screen there, 5.4 hours every day on their phone. And uh, the people that they surveyed thought that their usage was, like they didn't actually know how much they spent, but they said, oh, I'm sure mine is below average. But in order for it to be 5.4 hours every day, millennials, of course, brought the average up a little bit. The baby, but the baby boomers were not like two hours. They were like five hours, and it was 5.7 for the millennials. 5.4 hours every day on their phone. Do you realize that that's 2.7 months a year that we spend on our phones? There are 12 months in the year, folks. That means that almost a quarter of our year we're spending on these things. Now, I have one too. But when we're spending that much time looking at not just television, now we have these smaller screens that are consuming even more of our time. Now, I realize that some of the time on our phones is productive, and it may even be helpful. I know a lot of times I read my Bible on my phone, and so that's a positive thing. But honestly, much of what people use their phone for is not productive or helpful. In fact, in some cases, it's even toxic. And I think there's a lot of people who are squandering their time by looking at these smart devices. But how smart are they really? And how smart are they making us? Someone once said this, more time is wasted not in hours, 
but in minutes. And then they said, a bucket with a small hole in the bottom gets just as empty as a bucket that is deliberately kicked over. You know, we may feel like, oh, someone out there's really wasting their life. Meanwhile, we waste minutes on minutes and minutes on end looking at our device, mindlessly scrolling and not really producing and being unproductive at all. So what are some ways? What is the potential of time? Yes, we can squander it, but then we can also spend it. See, on the opposite end of the spectrum from those who squander their time are those who spend their time. There are those who spend uh, their time on, on, on their lives, on making the best of their life. Someone said, we master our minutes or we become slaves to them. We use time or time uses us. See, this person who spends it is the person who's trying to use time well, but spending it on things that apply only to this life. Trying to uh, make money. Trying to make a name for myself. Not necessarily bad things, but we're spending the time on ourselves. Harvey McKay said this, time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. But once you've lost it, you can never get it back. No one can go back to yesterday and relive it, though you might wish you could. But you can decide how you're going to live today. So we can squander our time, we can spend our time, but yet there is still a better option than just spending all of your time, and that is to steward your time. We can steward our time. This means recognizing that every moment of time that God gives me is indeed a gift. And that I purpose to use that moment and those moments that He gives me for His glory, for His honor can steward the time God gives us. The Bible says it this way in Ephesians 5 and verse 16, the passage we read at the beginning, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Colossians 4, 5 repeats it when it says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. This is the person that, in, that says, okay, God, you've given me this resource called time. I'm not going to just go, hey, sweet, I'm going to spend it however I want. No, this is the person who says, this is a resource and I want to be a wise steward with that resource. It's been said, life is God's gift to you. And what you do with it is your gift to God. So how is the gift of God that you are giving to Him going? Are you magnifying the Lord with your time? That's the potential of time, but I want us to see secondly here this morning, the priorities of time. Okay, so our time is limited. How can we magnify the Lord with the time that He does give us? What are some decisions that we should make with the time that God has blessed us with? Well, first of all, first and foremost, by far the most important is, number one, to make sure you're saved. To make sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And that when your time expires, which no one knows the day or the hour, you might be able to know, you know, when we have birthdays at our house, we've told them what time of the day they were born. And so during the day, we're like, happy birthday. They're like, it's not my birthday yet. Still have like three more hours. They're so technical about it all. So our kids know the day they were born and even the time that they were born. But you realize just as sure as having a birthday and time, not to be morbid, but the truth is all of us have a death day and a death time. Now, I hope it's not for a long, long time. Someone once said, you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. Until you're ready to face what's beyond this life. So make sure you're saved. Verse number 14 here says, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Romans 13, 11 is a verse that's very similar, it says in that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. How many of you are habitual snoozers? Would you raise your hand? You hit the snooze button more than once every day. Okay, your hands aren't very, like, tall, okay? <laughs> like, no one's proud of that fact, right? No one's like, I'm a snoozer, and I'm proud of it, you know. No one, no one is proud of it. I'm a snoozer, too. Um, I'll, I'll hit that, and, and uh, for years, it's, my wife has had to deal with the alarm clock going off, and she's like, I was still sleeping, but now I can't. Um, well, folks, the most important decision that anyone can make in their entire life is the decision of salvation, the decision to place their complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal salvation. That's the most important decision anyone can ever make. But unfortunately, here's what people do with that decision. Beep, beep, beep. Give me another couple days to think about it. Like, I'm not ready to make that decision. So they hit the snooze button. And they continue to procrastinate the very most important decision that anyone could ever make. If you're here this morning and you have never made that decision, I'm going to encourage you today to stop pushing the snooze button. To awake to salvation today. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, He said, In the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Not someday when I kind of get my life in order. No, today is the day of salvation. Well, why is today the day of salvation? Because thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Proverbs 27 and verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You'll say, you know what? I'm not comfortable to make that decision right now. Give me some time to think about it. And I understand, I'm not trying to, like, pressure anyone to make this decision, but I am trying to help you understand the urgency of this decision. Because look, none of us are guaranteed to live tomorrow. Now I hope that we do, and I hope you have a lot of tomorrows, but none of us are guaranteed any tomorrow. 
So let's make sure that we are one of His. We make sure that we're in Christ and Christ is in us. What's the big deal? I mean, why do I need to make this decision to believe on Christ as my, for my salvation? Because those who do not believe on Christ will go to a place the Bible calls hell. I know not a very fun topic and not a very popular topic to talk about, even in so-called churches today. But I wouldn't be a faithful preacher of the Word of God if I didn't mention it. Because the Bible teaches it. In fact, Jesus preached more about hell than He did about heaven. As wonderful as heaven is, hell is completely the polar opposite. It is a terrible place. And it wasn't created for you or for me. It was created for the devil and his angels. But yet those who do not trust Christ as their Savior, that's their destiny. And that's your destiny, if that's your case, if that's your situation. By the way, that was my destiny at one point in my life too. Because all of us deserve to go there. All of us are sinners. All of us deserve to go there. I read an article this week. It popped up. It's kind of over the news. Maybe you've seen it too. There was a podcast by Aaron Rodgers and uh, his girlfriend, Danica Patrick. Danica Patrick has a podcast, and she had on her podcast a guest, her boyfriend, Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. In this discussion they had, they talked about religion. They talked about his spiritual life, and it came out that he was part of a uh, a, a church group in, in high school, and, and I remember him talking about uh, the, the, this guy who led it. He was a cool Christian. Because he was using profanity and still was a Christian. And I'm going, why is this guy... Well, now Aaron Rodgers, here's his mentality. He says, I don't believe any of that stuff. I mean, how could a loving God send people to a burning hell? That's his mentality, and that's where he stands right now. I don't believe he is a believer at all. He's very distant from the Lord. And it's a big strain on his family relationship as well for those who have uh, know a little bit about uh, Aaron Rodgers and his, his family situation. Look, that's a somewhat of a good question, and that's a very popular question to ask. How could a loving God send people to a burning hell? But Mr. Rogers, actually, it's the wrong question. The right question is this. How could a holy, righteous God allow people into his heaven? when no one deserves it. That's really the right perspective to think about it. Because look, every one of us, me included, maybe even me especially, are sinners and wicked in the eyes of God. And God says, no, I cannot allow evil into my presence. So really, how could God, who is so holy, who is so righteous, say, Eric, I'm going to let you into my heaven. That's the right question to ask. And you'll come to the truth that God is a loving God to allow us to have a way into heaven. And He allowed us through the way of His Son, Jesus Christ, who came in the form of a little baby there in Bethlehem's manger. We just got done a month ago celebrating Christmas. And that's what it was about. It was God coming down in the form of a little baby and then living a perfect and sinless life. The questions I just asked Cooper over here in the baptistry a few moments ago. He lived a perfect and sinless life, and then He was crucified. He was completely innocent. 
He was crucified for my sins and for yours. And then three days later, praise the Lord, he rose from the grave. That's the real deal, Mr. Aaron Rodgers. You see, God loved us so much that he did make a way so that we don't have to go to a place called hell. Look, he doesn't send us there. We send ourselves there. If you're here today and you're not saved, what's the priority of your time? Priority number one is to make sure you're saved. Make the most important decision of your life. There's big ones. Marriage, career, retirement, big decisions. But the biggest of them all is the decision of salvation. And if you haven't made that, please stop hitting the snooze button. Because none of us are guaranteed a tomorrow. What else should we be doing with our time? What, are, what, what else should be our priorities? Well, secondly, make sure you're seeking the Lord. Those of us who are saved, we need to be using our time and stewarding our time to be getting to know and to seeking the Lord in our lives. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. He said, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. So really, when you look at your watch, don't just see 11.45. See, hey, it's time to seek the Lord. It is time to get to know Christ and to learn about Him. Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. The problem is many Christians are seeking all these other things. They're seeking money. They're seeking provision. They're seeking blessing. And they say, well, I'll get around to seeking the Lord when I have time, when all the blessings are there. The problem is Jesus says, no, no, you got to reverse the order. Seek me, and then the blessings will follow. But most people want the blessings right now, and they don't want to take the time to seek the Lord. I want to encourage us, the priority with our time to, to make seeking the Lord a big priority. Psalm 63 and verse 1. David here, the psalmist, he said, O God, Thou art my God. And then he said, Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee, my flesh longeth for Thee, in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. He said, I'm going to seek You early. What does that mean? Early in my day. I'm going to take time early on in my day to spend time seeking the Lord. I'm going to take the time early in my day to crack open the Word of God. Or, yes, to launch the Bible app on my phone. <laughs> but I'm going to take the time to look, get my eyes and look at God's Word. I'm going to take my time and seek Him as my first priority in the day. But I would say not only early in our day, but early on in our life. And I want to speak especially to those Young people in our church, our teenagers. Look, there's a mentality that some young people have that, hey, I'm young, I'm going to live my life for me right now. I'm going to sow my wild oats and I'm going to just enjoy and live it up while I'm young. And then when I get established, boy, then I'll get serious about my relationship with God. Then I'll begin seeking God. Friend, it may be too late. 
God wants us to use our youth to get to know Him. Not to use for ourselves. Not to live it up how we want to live. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 12 and verse 1, he said, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. He didn't say, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy days when you're really old. No, to take the time when you're young to get to know the Lord. Because you're going to need Him when you're my age. You're going to need Him when you're going through health issues later on in life. You're going to need Him. So you better get to know Him now while you're young. Don't just say, my youth is for me. No, no, your youth is for Him. Use that youth to seek Him. Look, the truth is, all of us have time for what's important to us. If sports are important to you, you're going to make time for that. If your friends are important to you, you're going to make time for them. If making money is important to you, then you're going to make time for that. And if God is important to you, you're going to make time for Him. Now, obviously, God, we know God wants us, God wants to be important in our lives. But let me ask you, how, how important is God to you based on how you spend your time? How important is He? If I were to go around the room and say, is, is your relationship with God important to you? Raise your hand. And I would say probably all of us would raise our hand in a room like this. But again, it can really only be determined by how we use our time. We're talking this morning about magnifying the Lord in our time. If you're too busy to seek the Lord, friend, you're too busy. You need to carve some, cut some things out of your life. And I suspect there are some things that you could indeed cut out of your life. It may even be toxic that need to be cut out anyway. But if we don't have 10, 15 minutes, as I've mentioned many times, you can read through the Bible in about 10 minutes a day. You can read through the Bible in a year. If you were to give 10, 15 minutes to it. Can we not find 10, 15 minutes to look at God's love letter to us? Oh, I'm too busy, Pastor. I don't have time for that. Well, then you're too busy. There's some things you need to cut out of your life. Maybe you could taper out, maybe you could like cut down a little bit on some of the social media uh, addiction that a lot of us have. Maybe you could cut out some of the TV programs. Maybe you could cut out some of the sleep. Maybe you could cut out some things to put God where He deserves to be. There's a song that we sometimes sing here. It's, I am resolved. The first verse goes, I am resolved no longer to linger. Charmed by the world's delight. Look, things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to them, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. I'm going to seek the Lord. So what else should be our priority with our time? Thirdly, make sure you're serving. Make sure you're serving. Obviously, first of all, we need to be serving the Lord. John 9 and verse 4, Jesus understood that while He was here on this earth, He had a mission, and one of His missions was to serve the Lord, to serve His heavenly Father. Here's what He said, John 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of Him that sent me, while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. We all have a limited time, and Jesus understood he had a limited time too. And he said, there's going to come a point where I'm no longer going to be able to serve. 
where I'm going to do the greatest act of service there is and give my life a ransom for those who would trust in me. Once again, if you're too busy to serve the Lord, you're too busy. He deserves our service. He has given us as believers spiritual gifts to be used to serve Him. And so we need to carve out time in order to use those gifts to magnify and serve the Lord. But keep in mind the order. I want us to kind of understand, kind of go back to the last thought here on seeking the Lord. Look, we need to seek the Lord first, and then we can serve the Lord. If we get this out of order, we're in danger of burnout and a critical spirit. Consider the example of Mary Martha found in Luke chapter number 10. You don't have to take the time to turn there right now, but basically I'll explain what's happening. Jesus comes into Mary Martha's house, and, and Mary's sitting down at his feet, listening to what he has to say, and learning, and seeking him, really. Then Martha is behind the scenes, and she's in the kitchen preparing all these beautiful and delicious hors d'oeuvres. She comes out, and, and she wants to, you know, she's, she's having trouble getting it all done in the, in the kitchen, and so she comes out and looks at Mary, and she's like, okay, I'll go back and do some more. And then she's like, man, this is getting hard. I need some help. So she comes out, and she just sees her, her dumb sister sitting there like a bump on a log. She kind of, fine, I'll just do it myself. She kind of goes, and then, and then she comes back out, and she's like, I've had it. Lord, would you bid her to come help me? So she really had the audacity to tell Jesus what to do. You see, Martha was busy serving, but Mary was busy seeking. And in order for her to be effective in serving, she needed to be seeking first. But because she was so focused on serving, she got to be, uh, she got to be cranky and bitter and uh, cantankerous. And again, to the point where she's bossing Jesus around. Can you believe? It? You know what? I, one of the things I truly love about Cornerstone Baptist Church is the amount of people that are willing to serve, that are willing to step up and say, if there's a need, let me know, Pastor, I will fill it. And I am so deeply appreciative of that truth. But can I encourage those of us who are involved in serving to make sure that we're seeking Him first? Because if we're not seeking Him, guess what will happen? Ain't no one ever says anything about what I do around here. Pastors never said my name from the pulpit. No one else is willing to do it, so I guess I have to again. This is what can happen in a church if we're not seeking first before we serve. Yes, we need to serve, but we've got to get the right priorities in order. It's essential. Serving cannot replace seeking. The bulletin article I mentioned this morning, two references to it in a Sunday. Can you believe it? I talked about the importance of being with Christ before we go serve for Christ. There is an importance to that. And if we get that out of order or out of whack, we're going to get out of whack. And we're not going to be effective in our service. We're not going to be effective in the things that God does allow us to do. We need to be spending time seeking Him, but then we, yes, 
At some point, we need to get off our blessed assurance and go and serve the Lord. Make sure we're serving, serving the Lord and serving our family. Serving our family. Those of us who have a family, those of us who have people that depend upon us, it's important for us to take that time to spend serving them. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In order to do that, friend, I just, I have to tell you, it takes time. You can't effectively be a parent and bring the, your children up in the nurture and admonition without spending significant amount of time pouring into these young lives. I read again another uh, article here, and according to National Tragedy, a Christian headlines in December of seventeen, uh, December of two thousand seven nineteen. I'm sorry, so just a month ago, uh, this this was a headline. A new study showing the United States has the world's highest rate of children living in single-parent households is being called a national tragedy by one sociologist. The Pew Research Center study of 130 countries and territories shows that 23% of U.S. children under the age of 18 live with only one parent and no other adults, more than three times the global average of 7%. Wow. You see, there's moms and dads who are not serving our family properly. We're too busy doing things that are good. Too busy making money and providing for our family the finances needed. And I'm, I, I'm all for providing finances. And I know that sometimes it requires some extra time in order to do Uh, what you need to, to provide for your family. But the greatest need is not food on the table and name brand designer clothes. The greatest need that God has shared with us in His Word is to diligently teach our children the truths of His Word. That's the greatest way you can nurture and uh, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It takes time. We're doing things that Again, don't matter to much. I mean, we're, we're involved in sports. We're involved in all kinds of things under the sun. Not bad things, but good things. There's a video that uh, my wife posted on Facebook, and we're talking about social media being a time waster, and it can be. There also can be some good things, but there's a clip in this video I want to show really briefly this morning. Let's go ahead and Eight watch it. Eight months ago. One of my four kids, or tripods, as I call them. Um, My 10-year-old was really struggling. She was acting defiance all the time, and at home she was just mad. And I didn't know why. And the confusing part is we went to parent-teacher conference, and the teacher said, your daughter is a total angel. She's the best child in class. In fact, I'm going to give her an award for the most helpful students. My wife and I looked at ourselves, we're like, do you have two Quincy's? One day after work, I came home and she was yelling at her sister, hitting her brother, yelling at her mom. She's 10. She went into the bedroom and slammed the door and I lost it. I walk into the room and I go, what is wrong? Why are you so mad? Why are you doing such good things at school, but you're making such bad choices at home? And this little precious human being looked at me and with tears in her eyes, 
She said, why do you love your phone more than you love me? That was the only wake-up call I needed. Ouch. Amen. With Seth, he's turning 16 in a month in a month and a half. Hard to believe. That means that we have him for potentially only a couple more years before he moves out if he wanted to. We're going to try to keep him around a little while just so that, you know, he can kind of help with dishes and stuff, you know. But time is coming short. I could be on my phone mindlessly scrolling through all of that stuff. But meanwhile, there's a young man that needs a dad's influence. And I'm telling you, for those who have younger children, it goes quick. It goes quick. Make sure you're serving your family. I'm convinced that unfortunately there are in a good many homes where both parents are in the home, but they're not serving their families well. They're too busy with their lives, too busy spending it on good things, things like work, things like sports, hobbies, or friends, or even good things like ministry. Think about Eli in the Bible. Eli was a priest. He was doing the work of God. He had two boys who the Bible says did not know the Lord. And one of the things it also says about these two boys is that Eli failed to restrain them. Now, I don't know if it was the ministry uh, demands were so much and he just was so strapped for time. I don't know if that was, if that's all it was. But I'm telling you, the ministry can be a time sucker. And uh, many of you know our story, how we were involved in a very wonderful ministry in California, making a decent salary and living in beautiful Orange County. The church was in beautiful, gorgeous Newport Beach. We had a very beautiful campus, and uh, I'd been there, my wife and I had been there for 15 plus years. We had established a lot of respect in the church, uh, a lot of people, I mean, everybody loved us, everybody, it was a good situation. But we began to look at our children and say, you know what, in order for us to stay here, I'm going to have to maintain a very rigid and, and demanding ministry schedule. But that may mean I'm not going to be able to be an effective dad. I'm going to have to pick one of the two. And so we did a radical thing. We moved up to Big Sky Country, Montana. And there to help my brother-in-law with a small little church. I'm telling you, those three years were wonderful for us to get away from the pressures of all of the things that we were so used to. The materialistic mentality, the... Um, I. I and just the busy life, we were able to be moms and dads again. And it was wonderful. We went on a camping trip as a family for the first time. Just spent time with them. When we came here, I talked to our the pulpit committee and I said, look, folks, I, I am excited about the potential opportunity here, but I'm telling you, if you expect me to be here like all the time, you've got the wrong guy. I've got four children, but even more important than that, I have a wife. And, and, and long after my children are gone, I want to have a good godly marriage. And that takes time. It, it, you know, 
quality versus quantity. No, really, in order to have the quality time, you're going to have to have the quantity. I can't say, hey, Seth, I've got five minutes. Share your heart with me. Like, no kid's going to do that. You have to take time. So, based on this message, tomorrow I'm taking Seth to a Dallas Stars game in, in Dallas. And we're going to have time in the car. We're gonna, on the way there and on the way back, hopefully he doesn't sleep the entire time. But hopefully we'll have a chance to just be father and son and have that time together. And hopefully the Stars win too. I'm out of time, speaking of time. But let me just kind of wrap this up here with a couple more quick thoughts. You know, it takes time with your family to have family devotions, carving out time where you're together, where you're going through the Word of God together, where you're reading through a book of the Bible together. It takes time. Take that time. Regular dates with your spouse and children. Charles Francis Adams, the 19th century political figure and diplomat, he kept a diary. One day he entered, went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. His son, Brooke Adams, also kept a diary, which is still in existence. And on that same day, Brooke Adams made this entry, went fishing with my father, the most wonderful day of my life. The father thought he was wasting his time while fishing with the son, but his son saw it as an investment of time and of love. And the only way to tell the difference between wasting and investing is to know someone's ultimate purpose in life and to judge accordingly. I want to encourage us as parents to serve our family. And then number three, and this is going to be a super quick one, the purpose of time. What is the purpose of the time God gives us? Well, the purpose is to discover and to do the will of God for our lives. The time is not meant for you to live your best life now. No, but to honor and glorify God and to find out what God wants you to do and then to do it. How do we do that? Uh, we need to seek God's wisdom. We seek God's wisdom in His Word by asking for it, by listening to the counsel of others through trial and the error of life and to learn from those examples and, and to apply those truths. To seek God's wisdom and then to seek God's will. I don't really have time to develop it right now, speaking of time, but James chapter 4 and verse number uh, 14 says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Our life, according to James here, is... We have a little febreze. I'm not even sure how to say that. Action here. He says that our life is as a vapor that appears and then it's gone. Now, we don't know exactly when our life is going to vanish away, but it will, and it'll be shorter than you think. Even if you live to be very old and full, day, full of days, as the Bible says, it's still going to feel like that went quick. And it does, and it smells really good up here right now. What are you going to do with your vapor? There's a poem by Linda Ellis called The Dash. It says this, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. 
He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. No, really what matters most is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. To be less quick to anger, show appreciation more, and to love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read, with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they'd say about how you'd lived your dash? If you decide to magnify the Lord with your time, I think it'll go real well. If you decide to squander it, or just to simply spend it on yourself. I'm afraid it's not going to be good as you hoped it would be. And with that, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for the time we've had today. I think it's been valuable to consider the time that you have given us. 86,400 seconds every day to spend or to squander or to steward. Help us, Lord, to steward it in order to be able to magnify you with our time. I pray especially if there's one here today that has never made the most important decision of them all to trust Christ as their Savior. Oh, I pray that they would make that decision today. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to decide to seek you. I pray for these young people, Lord, that they would give their youth to you to not just spend it on themselves and to have some regrets when they're my age, but Lord, to live for you while they're young. Then Lord, I pray that you would help us to discover the will of God and then to do it. That's the reason you've given us this time. Not for us to use on ourselves, but to use to bring you glory and to magnify you. I pray, Lord, that this message would, would make a difference in many of our hearts and that we would live differently because of it.